0: Hey everyone, it's Jay and Rose here. We're with Suk, who grew up with Sikhism,
1: and we're going to be asking her a bit about her faith. Um, So first of all, will you give us a brief description of what Sikhism is?
2: Sure. So Sikhism is a religion that was founded in Northern India. Um, I believe it was in the Punjab area, which is a state in Northern India. And it's a religion that um, has one God, believes in one God, um, doesn't believe in the caste system or anything like that, or so the class. What's the
0: caste system?
2: The caste system is a social structure in India. So um, there are multiple castes, and depending on where you are in that caste system, um, really kind of dictates how you live your life. So if you're at the top in one of the top caste systems, you have more opportunity um, for better jobs, better life in general. And if you're in one of the lower caste systems, um, you're generally more in the poor area. You um, don't have as much opportunity. And really, the caste system doesn't allow you to move out of the caste. Once you're born into a caste system, that's what you will be in. That's what your kids will be in and any you know future Your generation. family
1: is stuck there forever? Yep. So we know that Sikhs don't believe in the caste system, but what are some things that Sikhs do believe in?
2: Well, Sikhs believe in one God, and that God is genderless, so not female or male. They believe in prayer and meditation. They believe in living an honest life with integrity. And the last component that they really believe in heavily is called seva, which is service. So service to your community, service to, you know, your fellow man, woman, child, it's You know, they believe in that deeply.
1: Okay.
0: So So for those of you that don't know, Sikh temples often are open all the time with food for the community. Even if the community is not primarily Indian, you can go there anytime and get free food to feed you and your families.
2: That's right. The Sikh temple or the golden temple in India in the city of Amritsar was built specifically with a door on each of the four sides of the temple because they wanted to um, make sure that every religion, every caste, every class, every type of person was welcome into the temple and that you didn't have to be a Sikh and you didn't have to be any specific caste or class. And they also, all gurdwaras, which is what Sikhs call their temples, it's called a gurdwara, all of them serve langar, which is a community meal, and that meal is free. So anybody can go into any gurdwara anywhere in the country, in the world, and you can get a free meal.
1: That's beautiful. That is, that's really cool. So there's not a gender assigned to the Sikh God. Is that a, like a common theme throughout Sikhism?
2: It actually is because, um, Sikhs pride themselves, the religion prides itself on equality for men and women. So, you know, there's no activity or event at a Gurdwara or within the community that is, um, specific to only men can come to this and women are, you know, prohibited or forbidden to come to this. There's no religious function from which women are barred at any time in their lives. Like, you know, I know some religions have certain times where back in the day, women couldn't, you know, go into church or do certain things. And it's not like that. Women and men are equal in that sense. And that also goes to, you know, the ones Um, when men and women get baptized into the religion, that um, they have these, you know, five things that they do once you've been baptized. And those are the same things, whether you're male or female. And that includes carrying a, um, a dagger, like women carry a dagger, just like men do. Um, women wear the silver bracelet the Garda, just like men do, and the other three things as well. They both have to, both have to do them.
1: That's interesting. It's, that's pretty unique to Sikhism, I think.
0: Yeah. If you think about other faiths, like Christianity especially, is very misogynistic.
1: It's very separated. It's, yeah.
0: Yeah. And their God is specifically male.
2: Yeah. So... And that is, so that's the interesting part where Sikhism, the religion, that's what it preaches. Nowhere in the Guru Granth Sahib, you know, the Bible does it say, does it call out any differences between male and female in that sense? But then you mix in the Indian, the Punjabi culture. And that's where the misogyny comes in. That's where the, you know, the more conservative, the more male dominated um, situations come in.
0: And that's where a lot of people get confused because it's not Sikhism itself that's preaching, oh, men are better than women. It's the people and the culture.
2: Yep, exactly. Because having grown up in a predominantly Indian community, there were other Indian families that, um, you know, went to the Gurdwara just like my my family did, but their daughters weren't allowed to wear shorts, play sports, go to their friends' houses. And my parents were always um, accepting of that. They never discouraged it. You know, I wore shorts when I was young and lived at home. I got to cut my hair. I went to friends' houses. I went to a dance even. And my parents also, especially my dad, you know, him being the male in the family, he believed strongly that I should get the same opportunities that my older brother had, where I, you know, it was expected that I would go to college and that I would have a say in my marriage, that I wouldn't choose or they wouldn't choose who I got married to, where that's not common in every Indian family. And that's the culture, not the religion.
0: So you said you were allowed to cut your hair. How does that relate to Sikhism?
2: So cutting your hair or having uncut hair is one of those five things that I was referring to earlier. Where when you get baptized, there's five things that you have to abide by, and giss, which is hair, you have to you can't cut your hair. So let me. So it's giss, which is uncut hair, uh, kanga, which is a little wooden comb that you keep in your hair, and akhwan, which is the dagger. And kara um, kada, which is your silver bracelet, and gachara, which is a which are cotton underwear. And so those are the five things that all baptized Sikhs abide by. And a lot of Sikhs that aren't baptized, they abide by them too, um, but just not as um, strictly as the ones that are baptized do.
0: So you say baptized. Obviously, it's much different than. The Christian version that we think of, where you get your head dunked under water, what is the process for that?
2: So each gurdwara has um, certain times of the year that they'll do baptisms, or in Punjabi they call them amrit, and um, so they have a ceremony at the ceremony at the gurdwara, and they do prayers. Um, uh, they drink some sort of sugar water. And they get it sprinkled on them. And um, they also have an additional part of that ceremony where, you know, you you're going to say, this is what I'm going to do now. And that's how you get baptized. It's making a larger and deeper commitment to that religion.
0: It's much different than, I don't want to go to hell.
2: Yes, it has nothing to do with wanting to, whether you're going to go to heaven or hell, because Sikhs don't believe in that. Sikhs believe in reincarnation, and you don't become one with, with God until you reach enlightenment. Um, So they're, they don't believe in a heaven and hell. So baptism has nothing to do that. Baptism is just you committing to your religion. And Sikhism as a whole, as a religion, you know, there's Sikhism the name of the religion, but Sikh, a person who practices that religion, what that word means is disciple or student. So as a Sikh, you're meant, you're expected to be constantly learning and growing. And so that's where the baptism comes in is your commitment to continue along that path. So are you baptized? I am not. And it's a choice that you make. I don't remember what age it is, but it's a choice that you make. So like my mom was baptized. My dad was not. My dad's a bit of a rebel. (laughs) He was Sikh, that both my parents are Sikh. But my mom was baptized. She believed in the religion. She did the prayers. She, you know, really, really did everything that you're supposed to, which, mind you, she was baptized. She She had taken that commitment. And my dad, my dad was a different kind of believer.
1: Will you tell us more about
2: the actual prayers that you do or that Sikhs do? So there are two types of prayers that I'm familiar with. And so mind you, my household was not super duper religious. So Mm -hmm. I probably am going to miss something. So I'm sure other Sikhs that may listen to this can comment or add on to that. But there were prayers that my mom would do in the morning that you did before sunrise. And then there were prayers that you did in the evening after sunset. And these were prayers that you could recite yourself. Um, and then there were people who, you know, didn't recite them. I don't you know, I don't know why they wouldn't recite them themselves, but they they would play them. So as long as it was playing in the household, they could listen to it. That was the purpose of it. And so those are the prayers that that I'm familiar with. So I hate to ask, but you
1: know, I have to, um, what are Sikhs beliefs about homosexuality?
2: So the religion itself in the Bible, in the Guru Granth Sahib doesn't mention or have any reference to homosexuality at all. Um, Even when it talks about marriage, it speaks to the union of two souls. And according to Sikhism, the souls are genderless and that the male and female form is just their outward depiction of the souls, but that the souls are genderless. Even the Lama, which is the the wedding ceremony, it's something that they, when they walk around the Guru Granth Sahib, each one um, refers to a different part of marriage. Even those don't mention male or female technically. So um, the religion itself doesn't have a stance, I should say, I Mm -hmm. guess, it doesn't, you know, mention it. Um, Like I said, even God is genderless. So, you know, that's kind of the the thread throughout the entire religion. But then you pull in the culture of the Punjabi culture into it. And like humanity everywhere, the older generations are opposed to it and the younger generations have no issue with it so they're you know more progressive in that sense but that's also more the culture than it is the religion
0: yeah so let's talk a little more about a sikh wedding what kind of ceremonies go on in it so i know it lasts several days for both the bride and the groom what kind of things happen
2: So a Sikh wedding is a full out party for like the entire week leading up to the ceremony. So, you know, probably about 10 years ago, the actual wedding would happen on a Saturday. So you would have that entire prior weekend to that next Saturday, it'd be a party. Um, and there's multiple different um, events that happen. Um, and I don't, I won't go into all of them, but there's, um, let's see, there's the, the engagement. So, you know, initially when the, when the, the groom and the bride are going to be engaged, the parents meet, the parents of the bride will go to the groom's house without the bride and they'll accept the groom and the groom's parents will go to the bride's house and accept the bride, but the groom doesn't go with them. So it's just the parental meeting. And there's usually gifts involved. Um, the the groom's parents will bring jewelry and clothing and stuff for the for the bride, and the bride's parents do the same. They also have um, the Mendi ceremony, which everybody knows. Um, Mendi is the, um, what do they call it? The, I'm forgetting what they call it in English now. <laughs> But um, the Mendi is like the tattoos that they, the henna. The, the henna. Yeah, that's, that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> so um, basically what happens is, is one of those, you know, days leading up to that. And every single day there's music, there's tons of food, there's, you know, people over, you know, family and friends and they get fed and they hang out and there's laughter and just celebration. But the Mendy ceremony happens a few days before the wedding. And these days they hire a professional to actually come in and do it. And the bride gets um, Mendy all over her hands, up her wrists. So right below the elbow usually, and gets it all over her feet to, to right below her knee. And in the old traditional days, you would get it as dark as you could, because when it dried, you wanted it to be darker once it dried and it fell off because in those days. And so now we're talking like in India, when the bride actually left her house and moved in with her in-laws, the, um, the old wives tale was that, um, the bride wasn't allowed to do any housework, any chores, anything along those lines until the Mendi had faded completely. And so, um, women, that's still the tradition where you want it as dark as you can get it, but the bride, isn't the only one that gets the ending. So any woman at that celebration of that night can get it and typically do tons of them do. Like, I know I've been to friends' weddings and I've gotten it, you know, Mm -hmm. and my daughter, when she was younger, she's gotten it. So, so it's just a good time. And then they also do, um, another one and I don't know the name of it. Um, But, oh, it's called mainga, where they take the yellow paste and they rub it all over you and they cleanse you with it. And this happens for the groom and the bride. So this is not different. It happens at both houses, but it happens separately. And where they rub the um, the yellow paste over you and you're supposed to go sit outside on a stool that's facing east. And they create a really intricate design um, with colored rice that you put your feet on. And um, four females from the family, whether friends or relatives, hold a red tepata, which is like a a scarf over the bride's head and the groom's head. And family members get to come rub that yellow paste all over their faces, basically any body part that's showing their legs, their arms, their hands, their neck, their face. And the whole uh, point of that is it's a cleansing. Mm -hmm. So and that happens at the groom's house and the bride's house separately, of course.
0: And it's a turmeric paste, isn't it?
2: It is a turmeric paste. Yep. And it, but it doesn't stain the skin like a lot of turmeric does because whatever else they put in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have, um, you know, Jago, which is um, the way I've experienced it in modern day. So in the U.S., the way I've experienced it is that it's basically like a copper or steel, not jug, but like a big, uh, a big like... Vase? Like Kind of like Like a big bowl, basically. Mm -hmm. And they put candles in it and women will put it on their head and they dance. And what I learned is in the old days back in India, that because they didn't have paper invitations to weddings back then is that they would take those things and they would walk through the streets and they would leave them randomly throughout the village and um, to invite everybody to the wedding, which would happen the next day. And so to kind of keep some version of that, because you're not going to do that, Mm -hmm. you know, now, you're not going to walk around LA and leave those laying around somewhere. So now this is their kind of condensed version of it as they do that. And they just do a dance with it. And Mm -hmm. dancing is a huge part of, of, of the Punjabi culture so yeah um but th- all of these are you know part culture part religion kind of yeah, intermixed he, together yeah the
0: Punjabi culture and the Sikh religion are very intertwined
2: very intertwined and uh, most people have difficulty um understanding or being able to identify which is which because distinguishing they yep, yeah, distinguishing between the two of them Um, and then they also have, um, one last one I'll tell you about is called the Judah ceremony, which is you, um, have a set of 21 red and white, uh, bracelets that are put on the bride's wrist on each wrist on each arm by her oldest maternal uncle. And it's very specific, mm-hmm. um, but they get soaked in like some sort of milk concoction and then they get put on, he puts them on her, on her wrists with the help of his wife. And my dad, I've seen my dad and my mom do this with, with my cousin. And, um, and, um, and then they, like, after that, they just party. Like mm-hmm. every day you have like these specific things that you do, but then the rest of the time is just a party. It's just having fun and talking to people and getting to know them and, you know, visiting, eating good food. It's just a huge celebration.
0: Punjabi weddings are always huge celebrations and very vibrant. There's a lot of colors. One thing I always have loved about it is that the bride doesn't wear white. Like in American weddings, she wears red because red is a festive color. And I really love that.
2: Yep. Red is prominent and red is prominent throughout this whole week leading up to the wedding Mm -hmm. too. So like the, um, the, the Maya that I was talking about where they rub the yellow paste on you Mm -hmm. some part at some part during that ceremony, they always, they tie it. It's something called the Ganna. They tie, It's a red string around your wrist and it's supposed to be like a blessing and the bride and groom get it, but then everybody that's attending also gets it. Hmm. And then usually, you know, in the old days, it wasn't, you know, as, um, The bride and groom didn't coordinate as much because mostly arranged marriages back then. So, you know, the families did most of that. But modern day, the groom and the bride will coordinate their outfits too. So if the bride has a certain shade of red, the groom will have touches of that in his too, in his outfit too. And the groom usually wears like, a long um a long jacket and um like a pajami which is like basically skinny jeans but they're not <laughs> jeans they're made out of like, like cloth or silk yeah right. they're kind of leggings but they're silk um and at the groom's house what happens like the the day of the wedding is the I believe it's the sister she ties the seta, which is like a drape because the, the groom has will wear a turban Mm-hmm. And then she'll tie like a drape over his face so that his face is hidden. And it's usually made out of like fancy gold ribbon or pearls or something like that. And then the sister-in-law um, will usually put a black dot somewhere like in mm-hmm. behind his ear or something to kind of um, wave away negative energy or jealousy or envy or something like that.
0: Yeah. So that's another old Indian wife tale. Yep. If you have a black dot or a freckle, it wards off jealousy and ill will towards you. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And then all of these, you know, um, all of these traditions where like you need a sister or a sister-in-law or an uncle, they all are interchangeable. So if, you know, my brother got married and he doesn't have a sister-in-law clearly, because he's the only boy, one of the cousin like one of our male cousins, his wife will step in because she's mm-hmm. technically a sister-in-law because in the Indian, in the Punjabi culture, in the Indian culture, your cousins are essentially your siblings. So yeah. their spouses are your sister-in-laws. So you have those people that step into all of these different positions or all of these different traditional aspects where they require a specific family member. Yeah.
0: So you've mentioned your parents several times now, what, influence did they have on you and your experience with Sikhism as you grew
2: up They've quite a bit of influence as I'm sure every household does that's religious so my mom was pretty religious so as I said before she had taken the amrit and so she did the prayers and she you know abided by all of those rules my dad was a little different <laughs> um He believed in Sikhism. He wasn't a big believer in people who were overemphasizing their, their commitment and belief to the religion. So, you know, one of the things about Sikhism is that the men wear turbans um, and have a, you know, have a beard because they don't cut hair on any part of their body. And he used to always tell me that, anybody or in Sikhism, you know, the person with the biggest turban and the biggest beard is probably the least religious. So he had kind of a cynical viewpoint of of certain believers. And I think that came from, you know, he had seen, he probably had his own reckoning with, with the religion. He had seen quite a bit of death in his young life with his dad dying when he was, pretty young, right after he had gotten married to my mom and having to take over everything for the family. And he still had um, a younger sister that needed to be married and his older brother was sickly. So, and then his older brother, my uncle dying. So I think that probably played a part in it, in his cynicism with the religion. Um, But that was my experience growing up. But religion was never pushed or talked about specifically. It was just something that was in the family. So we went to the Gurdwara when there was something to go for. So in Sikhism, you don't, you know, it's not like Christianity where you go to church every Sunday, you go when there's a function. Um, so there's, you know, birthdays of the gurus that you celebrate that you go to the Gurdwara for. So we went on all of those uh, occasions, but, um, other than that, you know, we didn't sit around and have conversations about what we believed or about Sikhism in general. It was just something that was there.
0: Yeah, you said before your parents seemed pretty progressive for a traditional Indian family.
2: Yeah, they were in most ways. So, you know, like I said earlier with education, that was high on their list, they were immigrants to the U S and, you know, and even though they came from a, um, both of them came from fairly well-off families, they still made the decision to immigrate to, to the U S to give us, my brother and I, a better opportunity. And that included education and education, as you know, is huge in the, as I've said, huge in this, in the Sikh religion. So, you know, you, the word "seek" means student. So that's your goal is to continue to learn and grow. And for them, education was very important. And we were both expected to go to college and, you know, get good grades and, and, you know, continue to grow and learn.
0: Yeah, that's really cool.
1: Since you didn't grow up in an extremely religious household, have you ever found yourself like having a reckoning with Sikhism.
2: Yeah. One specific period in my life stands out. And that was when my mom died. She died 22 years ago, almost 23 in a car accident. And I think that's really the only time where I've, cause I feel like I've always had a general belief in God, whether I followed the principles of Sikhism specifically or not, but I've always, believed in God. And I think that was the one time where I think I strayed is a good word that I would use away from it. And, but then I also came back to it. Um, I think I questioned it a lot because my mom was like, I'm sure other people have experienced this. My mom was an amazing person. She was kind and generous and loving to like every single person. Like, you know, if you could think of a perfect human being. I don't think there would, be anybody that would come close to her and to see her die without any, you know, real reason. She wasn't sick. It was just a car accident. It was really tough. And I think that would be my, my moment of reckoning with, with religion, with God. But even then, I think after a short while I came back to it because the support that I felt having the belief in God, was what got me through that period as well so even though initially i had my doubts and all of that i think um coming back to it was also what helped me get through it but i also believe that in Sikhism, you're allowed to have those doubts that's part of learning yeah. and you know learning and education is such a big component of it that if you know you aren't allowed to have your doubts and learn and grow from them then you know the religion doesn't do much to help you through that mm-hmm. but you know people have different experiences my brother who's 3 years older than me he you know really had a tough time with it and he went the opposite route than i did so
1: earlier you mentioned that Sikhism is a very peaceful religion but the symbol of Sikhism itself, it can come off as a little bit aggressive. It's uh, three swords and a shield. So is there a story behind that?
2: There is. And yes, I can see that it would come off in a different way, considering that uh, Sikhism definitely preaches uh, being peaceful and being tolerant. Um, but it did, the, the religion went through a, a profound change because up to a certain point, that was the focus of it. It was meditation and being peaceful and being tolerant. But Sikhs had been um, persecuted. Sikhs had been um, called upon to stand up for other religions and other people, which is what they believed. And so they had been, as part of that, been tortured and been killed. And so the sixth guru, which there are 10 gurus, which are the spiritual spiritual leaders of the religion, which um, ended with the 10th guru, by the way. So now it's the Guru Granth Sahib is the, that's it. That's the final guru basically. Um, But the Sikhs decided at that point that um, they needed to be able to, um, they saw a need for self-defense basically. And so that's where that symbol comes into play, because they are actual warriors. They fought in battles and, you know, they're extraordinary warriors. There's a huge history with that. Um, But they still, even with that history, they still believe in staying rooted in peace and tolerance and that they do not believe in attacking they only believe in defending so if they are attacked first then they will stand up and defend whether it's defense of themselves or other people that need it so people maybe that can't speak up for themselves etc but um but generally they still believe in being peaceful and tolerant that's still the the main focus
0: yeah a huge shout out to Suk for taking time out of her day so we could interview her. Rose, what were some of the things that you learned about Sikhism?
1: Yeah, so today I started out I really really didn't know anything about um Sikhism. Yeah. Which I didn't even realize like how much I had only known about Christianity. Mm-hmm. So it was really refreshing to get to know like other religions and other cultures. But I learned some, like, really beautiful stories and really beautiful history today, and I feel very enlightened because of it.
0: Yeah, one of my favorite parts was probably talking about enlightenment, actually, Mm -hmm. and how it focused so heavily on knowledge. I think it's really interesting how so many Eastern religions focus on knowledge and focus on learning, like Buddhism. There's a very heavy focus on knowledge and peace and learning. And that's ultimately how you reach a version of heaven, a version of freedom.
1: Yeah, it's it's less about the reward that you get at the end yeah. of the tunnel for helping people. It's more about the knowledge and the experience that you gain from exactly. that.
0: Exactly. And I, I really love that. I think that's really interesting.
1: It's very beautiful and very different from Western religions. Yeah,
0: like you think about Christianity a lot everything about Christianity, pretty much, you're helping people, but it's mostly to get into heaven.
1: Yeah, it's because God told you to, it's not because you decided yeah. to, to do that because that's what you believe in, and Yeah, that's not... what's really beautiful about Sikhism, is yeah. they all believe in that, and they all want to do that.
0: Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that that was definitely something I thought was interesting today, and Yeah. So thank you for tuning in and listening. And if you have any religions that you would like to hear about or learn about, please leave a voice message or DM us on Instagram. We would love to hear from you.
1: Thank you for listening. See you guys next time.